Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. Ye see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised, that they may glory in your flesh. In verse number 11, you see how it says, you see how large a letter I have written unto you. Uh, some, of, some commentators refer to this, and some say that, well, it was large letters because Paul had vision trouble, and so he wrote in, you know, large majuscule uncial writing, and that was large block text lettering, and because of his eye trouble, and I'm not so sure I agree so much with that. I think that legalism is so deceptive, and I think that this letter that he has written to them is so large in nature that it could cause such life-altering consequences. Salvation by circumcision, late. Salvation by works, wait. I accepted Christ, but wait, I have to go back to keeping law to really make me right. Wait, wait, this is so life altering and a flesh based religious system is that's what it is. It's corrupt because the flesh brings corruption. And I think it's of such magnitude that Paul is penning this by his own hand, you know, God inspiring him and some of his letters. He would Holy Spirit's directing Paul, but Paul's having someone dictate as he as he writes, but not so with this one. This is so of utmost importance. It's so urgent, and it's what it says. It's a large a letter. <laughs> and so I believe that's where he's starting with. Uh, there's a few different opinions on that. That's my opinion on it. He moves on to say, with mine own hand, and he's not discounting the Holy Spirit. We are, Paul isn't saying, look, this is about me, the Holy Spirit that is directing him. But when he says, with mine own hand, it's very real. It's very personable. He's showing personal interest and personal sympathy to these people. He's adding his own feelings and his own character. And a lot of times with us, it's not the words we say. It's not even the actions that we do. It's our own personal character, the interests that we take with one another. You know, words can be very, very hard to define. You know, actions can be very, very hard to discern. People can say words, the right words, but have a different meaning in their heart. People can do actions but they can have a different motive or a meaning in their heart. And I believe Paul throughout this whole letter, as he starts to close out, he has shown utmost personal interest in these people. And I believe that's something that we can learn from Paul. We need to show some interest in each other. It's the personal touch. It's authentic. It's real. It's called character. And it's beautifully put at work in Paul's life. And science can't measure it. 
Isn't it amazing that all the people that said trust the science found out that the scientist that we were supposed to trust was corrupt? Isn't that just totally ironic? Oh, this couldn't have been made in a lab. This couldn't have. You have to trust the science. Trust the science. He's given us all this trust the science, and the, and the scientists have been lying to us the whole time. You can say words. You can do action. But when your personal integrity and personal character is revealed that you didn't have our best motives at heart, that stinks. That's not Paul. And that shouldn't be us. We should have the right motive behind what we say and what we do. How do we have a church that's united? Well, we need to love God. Well, everybody says that. We need to love the word. Almost everybody says that. I guess they could define it different. But how about loving each other? How about taking a special interest in each other? All different backgrounds, all different interests outside of Christ. But how does a church have unity? We take a special interest in each other. Take someone out to lunch. Take someone out to dinner. Take someone out to the to the square and do some public ministry with them for 20 minutes or 30 minutes or 40 minutes. You know, hey, you want to go knock some doors? Hey, do you want to go to the fair and give out some tracks? Hey, you want to go to the park and 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 just meet up for what is all that? It's unity. It's taking personal interest in each other. You see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. And I'll tell you, the power of the gospel, here's what the gospel is not. It's not how to win an argument. It's not check off, get somebody to check off all the boxes of the propositions or the offers that you make them or interrogating them with our questioning. It's not the gospel. The gospel is Christ. Christ came down and he showed a personal interest in people, in the human race, in those that were created by him. He came down and had an interest. Yes, his first desire was to glorify the father and to please the father. But he took a special interest. God did in us and praise the Lord that we have a, the word of truth. Praise the Lord that we can open up a Bible, read it, believe it. We have everything that we need for life and godliness right in it. And we can get all our questions answered. You have a question about life? You can find it in the Bible. You can find a principle of it in the Bible. But it is so much more than just a book. God was manifest in the flesh and he came in. Praise his holy name. He called you and I out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And Christ is the gospel. The gospel is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christianity is not a philosophy. The philosophy didn't change mankind. It's not intellectual argumentation. Argumentation doesn't change mankind. 
It's not having a line of questioning and your debating skills are so great that nobody can beat you. It's Christ. Christ is the gospel. He came down and he died on the cross to redeem his people. Many of us can say, well, we've come face to face with God. I've trusted Christ as my savior. But we fail to invest in the people that God has put in our lives. That's the type of church I want us to be. A church that invests in each other. Like God invested in us. You think God would have been less holy if he didn't come down here? (laughs) Come on. He came as a suffering servant. He came humble. And went through, like Brother Kelly said this morning, He doesn't even like recanting and thinking about the awful things that Christ had to go through for us because it's so bad. You think you're not going to get hurt if you invest in somebody? I got news for you. Think again. You think it didn't hurt Christ when he invested with people? He had 12 to follow him. We got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. A couple of downstairs. What? A little over twenty. In worldly means, you can say we're doing better than Christ. He only had twelve. <laughs> you don't think that's a depressing ministry? Thousands of people. You created them all, and twelve are serious. They're doing real good. Nobody runs a business like that. Yeah, we got 12 customers. It's the same 12 that come to McDonald's every morning. You can't keep the thing going that long. I'm amazed. I go to Chick-fil-A. That Man, they got it figured out. They got it figured out. Every square inch of real estate is taken up in Chick-fil-A. We went to one over the weekend to get some food because we didn't want to wait sitting down in a restaurant. So instead, we just waited in our car. <laughs> <laughs> as Chick-fil-A was <laughs> I figured just get everybody out so they can pick her outside but no we'll just stay in line in Chick-fil-A because and that's the way it goes but they got the thing measured out every square inch of real estate is used it's their property and then you're right into a parking lot of somebody else but all they need is three and a half foot to get a car through and they're running that line and they got orders and they're just knocking it out That's a successful business. They got a lot of followers. Christ had 12, but he invested in everybody, was willing to invest in everybody, and he paid for the sins of the whole world. But he only had 12 when he was during his earthly ministry that really followed him. Man, that hurts. You only got a few. It hurts when you lose one. Nobody names their kid Judas. Hurts. So painful, nobody wants the name. Hurts. You're a small church, you lose somebody, it hurts. It hurts. That's why preachers want bigger churches. Because if there's 100 people, well, if you lose two, it only hurts for a little bit. (laughs) I'm just telling you, it messes with your mind when you're on the other side of it. You care about people, you invest in people, you want the best for people. When you're small, you think about being a parent, how painful it is if you lose a child. 
I was thinking about somebody this weekend. I can't imagine what it would be to be a parent that loses a child. I had somebody on my mind that I knew that it had happened to. You imagine that? We talk about pain. You don't lose that pain this side of heaven. It doesn't go away. I, I don't care how many books you read or how many people you listen to. It doesn't go away. That's a horrible thing for a mother to have to deal with or a father. Things hurt. But because things hurt, that doesn't mean we don't invest time into people. Let's dwell among each other and invest time. Then the Bible says in verse number 12, as many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised. It's always the outward expression of signs and forms and symbols. We did this tournament over the weekend. We worked in Bowling Green. We did a jiu-jitsu tournament. went real well. It was the first time we did a tournament in a Corvette museum. If you've never been to the National Corvette Museum in Bowling Green, that's quite a place to go. You want to talk about a status symbol. That's neat. That's pretty cool. If you, if you buy a Corvette, you can actually request to pick it up at the museum. And so they have people do this and it's lined up. They did like five on Saturday. People get Corvettes. They did one Friday. We were there. They had you come out and uh, the event um, manager had us come out and the kids and I, and Cheyenne, we, you stand there and you clap, you know, the people pull out in our Corvette to go down victory lane and, you know, the rev the engine. It's really cool. <laughs> and uh, so we had to do some business in the office and, you know, I, I I asked my kids, all right, which one do you want to come? And you know, with dad, we're going to do some business and square up our bill and, and go over some final details of this venue. And so Josiah opted to come. And they had, you know, like any curious boy in a Corvette museum, he had some questions. And, uh, you know, he said, dad, well, what's, you know, what's a Corvette? It's like a race car? Like, what is it? And, you know, the guy that's managing the things there, and, and me and him. And I said, son, basically the Corvette, it's a status symbol. It's basically to say, look, I can afford this and you can't. <laughs> Look, I'm at the stop sign. I can hit a button and have my top go down and rev the engine. And you can't. You have screaming kids in a van. <laughs> That's what is. And so the guy, he, he, he looks at my son. He goes, I mean, yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> and I told him, I said, you know, I always wanted a Corvette when I was a kid, you know, because I had little race cars and Corvette. I finally opened my own business up, and I, my friend, who's my one of my best friends to this day, still, I'd met this man, and he was a financial guy, and so I told him, yeah, you know, I'm going to get a Corvette. He goes, you know, I, I'm not letting you get a Corvette. You get a Corvette, that's not, that's not on me. He said, you're not buying a Corvette. He said, if you want a Corvette, you wait until you're 40, and then think about buying a Corvette. Now, and I'm looking back, I thought that was pretty good advice, but I left the conference room that day thinking, who's this guy to tell me what I, but I told him, I said, you know, after I hit 40, it, it wore off. I really didn't want one. <laughs> so you know, there's the story in the Corvette. What's that have to do with the Bible? Nothing, but I just thought it was kind of fun to throw in there. It's symbols. It's status. It's, it's signs. It's something outward that you can show somebody that you are more righteous than they are, a.k.a. circumcision, which is what Paul is dealing with. And he's, so, he's trying to get these people to realize that legalists always have an axe to grind. And in Paul's day, the axe to grind was, you've got to be circumcised to be right. All it is is pressure tactics. 
we can't put pressure on, well, you have to be saved because. And all they do is they just say something because you scared them into it. It's pressure sales. A lot of sales are made today. We're not selling somebody Christianity. We don't pressure them into, you better say yes. The Holy Spirit doesn't move. It doesn't matter what you get them to say. You don't get them saved. You are used by God as a vessel to be able to preach the gospel. Your feet should bring that gospel of peace and tell them their need for a savior and show them. But you can't save them. I can't save them. We want to pressure them to get baptized. We want to pressure them to join some some type of church membership. We're trying to make a fair show in the flesh. We need to be careful that we're not making a fair show of Christianity. It's a hard issue. Only the word of God and the spirit of God can accomplish God's work in somebody's heart. God's not interested, nor does he need flesh-based pressure tactics. It's pretty easy for any adult to get a child that's between 4 and 12, or at least 4 and 10, saved. You asked a few leading questions. And in sales, you need to ask somebody, or one of the things in sales, is you ask somebody a question where they have to answer yes at least six or seven times. And then they're more likely to say yes to buying your widget. We need to be careful we're not selling Christ. We're being used by the Holy Spirit to bring forth God's word, and God's Holy Spirit should bring forth fruit. What happened to a child wrestling over sin? What happened to someone wrestling over the fact that they're condemned because they haven't trusted Christ and wrestling over the fact that their life's a mess, wrestling over the fact that, well, maybe I'm really not good enough. There should be some anguish over sin. There should be some wrestling going on inwardly. I believe that's the Holy Spirit bringing a man or a woman under conviction. Rather than, well, if you join our church, we'll give you a certificate and then you'll get to vote. Ooh, okay. Years ago, years ago. In a church in New Jersey, I won't mention the church and I won't mention the preacher. They called called me up and I thought they were checking in on me. They weren't checking in on me. They needed to have a percentage for the quorum, for the vote. They wanted to make sure that they could take me off the membership. Because in order to get things done, you need a certain percentage of the voting members to be in attendance so that you can vote whether or not we're going to put a drum set on the stage or whatever the issue is. Now, do you think that that is somebody investing in someone else's life? It would have gone over. I, I got another call, phone call from somebody at in church for two years. He calls me up. I thought he was going to invite me. Come on over for lunch. Let's go grab. Uh, let's go grab a bite to eat. Let's catch up. No. He wanted to sell me on a multi-level marketing program. I said, brother, I haven't talked to you in two years. And this is what you want to talk about? How about how's the wife doing? How about how's the kids doing? How about you want to get together for a Bible study? 
said, I make enough money. I don't want your MLM deal. <laughs> Maybe don't handle it the way I handle it. I'm just telling you in the flesh how I handle it. <clears throat> Isaiah 55, 11 says, so shall my, voice, my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. All you can do is bring forth the word of God. It's all you can do. And the desire to see a loved one, a family member, or a close friend be saved is so powerful. I know I've experienced this, but I can't get them saved. And I can't give them some outward fleshly thing to see or do to get them saved. Only by the power of God. Galatians 6.12, it says, Only last, in the beginning, of uh, the middle of the verse, they should suffer persecution. For the cross of Christ. In Paul's day. If you went public. With circumcision is not necessary. Only the cross of Christ matters. Which is what Paul did. Right. We all agree to that. Everybody get that. Here's how it went. Acts 13. The Jews were filled with envy. And they raised persecution against Paul. Acts 14. Paul gets stoned. Acts 15. He's disputing with the Jews over circumcision. Acts 17, the Jews gather together lewd fellows of the baser sort. They assault the house of Jason because they think he's involved with Paul. In Acts 17, the Jews are stirring up the people at Berea. In Acts 18, the Jews make insurrection against Paul and Achaia. In Acts 19, there's Paul again in the synagogue disputing with the Jews. Then he ends up at the school of Tyrannus, right? Acts 20, the Jews are now looking for him in Greece. Acts 21, the Jews grab a hold of him, and it just goes on. Throughout the rest of the book of Acts, they end up beating him. They end up bounding him with chains. He's brought before their council. He's imprisoned. And by Acts 26, you know what he doesn't stop doing? Preaching the gospel of Christ. And King Agrippa is almost persuaded, amen. Except that's one of the most saddest passages in the entire Bible because nobody is almost saved. And it doesn't matter if they give you some heart-wrenching, touching, emotional story about the good Lord and I. And if they haven't trusted Christ, they may almost be persuaded. But lost. Have you been in prison? Do you need to dispute with rabbis at the synagogue every day? Have you been bound in chains? Have you been brought before the council? Then why is it so difficult for us as a people to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified? Paul goes through all of that and he never changes his message one time. And he's preaching the daylights out of, to King Agrippa. And he almost gets saved. Oh, to be a Paul. 
Oh, to be used like Paul would be used. Yeah, that'll preach, preacher. But as soon as we hit one little spark of persecution, there we go back into our little rabbit hole and hide our heads because we're afraid. We can't be afraid. And every right, every sacrament, every do-gooder list, from circumcision to baptism and everything in between, is absolutely worthless compared to the cross of Christ. Right. It's nothing. And all men, it doesn't matter your rituals, it doesn't matter your sacrifices, the Christ, Christ will announce to you and to the whole world that it's nothing. You must come to God on God's terms and accept the free gift that he has offered you by faith, and then God will save you by his grace. And it's the cross of Christ alone that is a paid in full redemption price. The only thing that can free you and I from the curse of the law, not trying to keep the law because we've all failed. Galatians chapter six, verse number 13, the Bible says, for neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law. Isn't it pretty easy to point out the inconsistencies in hypocrites? I really think nationally that was the big problem with this Fauci flu. I really do. Because there were so many inconsistent holes in their argumentation, its trust is completely lost. And now people don't trust what the leaders are saying. Deception hurts. And when you get deceived once, all of a sudden you feel like, well, I'm not going to trust anybody because everybody's like that. Everybody's not like Fauci. Everybody's not like, keep picking on Fauci because he's in the news. But you could go on down the line with a, with, with a preacher that did something deceptive, with a friend, with a spouse, with a, in some way, we have all done something deceptive in our life. And when that happens, the person that we deceived, there's that wall that goes up. Well, who wouldn't put up a wall? Who wouldn't trust them the next time? And so you give them another chance. Then they do it again. And so now another wall goes up. Well, wait a minute. He or she did this once. Now he or she did this twice. I'm telling you, deception hurts and hypocrisy hurts big time. And Paul is, knows this. And so he's trying to get these Galatians to see these hypocritical inconsistencies in their game. And then once they get it, once they see that, then, OK, the, now the light's on. The light bulb's on full time. I'm not going to be deceived by these guys anymore. But that doesn't mean because somebody deceived you or because somebody deceived me that we just shut everybody out. Now everybody's a, a, a deceiver. Now everybody's a hypocrite. Well, I mean, you couldn't. You could say that's true for all of us. I mean, who hasn't taken a cookie and said, well, mom, no, I didn't have any. Right? You, you deceive. 
who didn't go to Lowe's and come home and the wife says, what'd you buy? I just bought some screws. And you, and you left out the part to go in the $300 worth of lumber that's also in the back of the truck. <laughs> right? Now, to some level, we've all done something like that. That doesn't mean the marriage ends. It just means that deception causes people to be standoffish and not believe you. We've all done it in some way, shape, or form. We need to keep ourselves in check, though, over it. It's not, it's not right. We should be completely honest. But they're not keeping the law. And Paul's trying to show them that they want you to do something that they don't do. You want me to keep the law? You don't keep all the law. Paul in Romans, go to Romans 8. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse number 3, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God sending his own son the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemns him in the flesh. Paul says it. Law oh, can't do it for you. Go back to Matthew 23. Matthew 23. Jesus just lets them have it in this whole chapter scribes and the Pharisees, this woe chapter. And, and in verse number 23, he says, woe unto you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. Jesus points it out to him and says, you fellows aren't so hot. You keep this, this, and this but you failed to keep the weightier matters. It should be obvious to anybody. Paul points it out. Jesus points it out. Get back to Acts 7, and Stephen points it out in Acts chapter 7. Toward the end of the chapter, in verse number 51, watch what he says. Ye stiff-necked, and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted, and they have slain them which showed before the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels, and watch it, and have not kept it. Well, what happened with that whole matter? Well, verse 54, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witness laid down their clothes at the young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And kneel down and cry with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. When he had said this, he fell asleep. 
You ever get stoned? What's the problem? You ever get hit with a stone? I got hit with a stone once. That's why your parents tell you not to throw rocks. If somebody gets hit, it hurts. Persecution. Paul went through. Stephen went through. Our Lord Jesus Christ went through. Was all over one thing the cross of Christ. And not making it about your works. And people become unglued when they realize their works can't save them. Don't be surprised if somebody comes unglued on you. Just take it. Eat it. The same way in sports, you're told to eat it. Someone passes the basketball to you, you catch it in the gut, you lose your win, eat it and go on. Galatians 6.13, the Bible says, for neither... They themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. They want you to be circumcised, not so that God becomes glorified, so that they can glory. And Paul does a great job. He beautifully argues that their whole motivation is wrong. The Jews want to look and say, you see. Look at that Gentile who I got converted and who I got to get circumcised. They want the glory. Their motive isn't for God to have the glory. And this movement today that acts like Jesus is in it, it's not. This six flags over Jesus mentality where we're going to bring a million people in and we're going to kind of hide Jesus under it. All of, all of it is is amusement. It's multi-million dollar amusement. You're amusing people to death. They don't want the cross of Christ magnified. They want to be able to go to the next church marketing meeting that they have on their weekend seminar, and they want to be able to glory in the fact, yeah, we got one of those Bible-believing fundies to join our church. They're against Bible preaching. They don't want the cross of Christ to be magnified. They want to be able to glory in themselves. It's evident by the fact of what they use to try to win people. And Paul's not using any of that stuff. He's not running a Six Flags Over Jesus amusement park where it's punch your ticket, come on in, ride the rides, go home, and live like the devil. He's not doing that. He's sticking to what is the gospel and that's jesus christ and him crucified died and risen again <laughs> Which is, i'm not a negative nelly i'm a fun person i like i like laughing i like having a good time but this message of you're so wonderful to god you're so wonderful to god come to our wonderful little building 
and we have all of these wonderful activities and wonderful programs for you. And we'll never tell you anything about sin because you're so wonderful and we wouldn't want, we wouldn't want your little psyche to be damaged. It's not the gospel. It's not. I don't want your little psyches to be damaged either. But I don't want to not tell you that young ones, the problem that you have is before God, you're a sinner and you need a savior. And Jesus Christ is that savior. He'll make you happier than anything if you would only trust in him. Now, I can bring in balloons. I can bring in pretzels to clown. We can have a bounce house. We can have all of these types of things. But if I use that to hide the message is that you are a sinner in the need of a savior, that's a problem. If we go to a bounce house or we see pretzels to clown or we do some, he does some balloon sculpting. Okay, fine. But we're not using it as a means to hide the message of the gospel. We were at the fair or something, you know, the other month, and it, one of the clowns was doing a balloon sculpture. You know, three dollars for a little poodle that lasts three hours. And, you know, the kids like it. I'm not saying I'm against fun. What I'm saying is I'm against using it as a way to avoid preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And finally, to close out, Paul hits their motive. In verses 11 through 13, their true purpose and their heart's desire of the legalists that are messing with the people of Galatia. Everything we do from our activities to our thoughts to our motives should be to glorify Christ. And that's what Paul is trying to get them to see. Signs, symbols, all of these outward works that you're going to try to add, don't. Just don't. Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross is completely sufficient. The legalist and their mindset and their motive, they want to try to show you through an outward work, sign, rite, ritual, or sacrament that the cross of Christ is not sufficient. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.